I'm so proud of all of our children for helping to lead us in worship today and for singing so beautifully, for making a joyful noise. I'm also proud of Vicki for making a joyful noise today. Wonderful job, Vicki. We'll have to get you up here in the choir here pretty soon. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of the Psalms, Psalm 66. It's found on page 459 in your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along with me. But before I read that to you, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. So again, Psalm 66. Make a joyful noise to God, all the earth, seeing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. Because of your great power, your enemies cringe before you. All the earth worships you. They sing praises to you. Sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. God is awesome in his deeds among mortals. He turned the sea into dry land, and they passed through the river on foot. There we rejoiced in him, who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let the rebellious not exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept us among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid burdens on our backs. You let people ride over our heads. We went through the fire and through water, yet you have brought us out to a spacious place. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will pay you my vows, that my, those that my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fatlings with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what God has done for me. I cried aloud to him, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened, but truly God has listened. He has given heed to the words of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So some of you know that I completed my dissertation this past year. It was easily the longest paper that I have ever, ever written, some hundred pages or more. Actually, coming up with the words to say it was not the hard part. As my Scottish friends tell me, I can talk the hind legs off a donkey. And so coming up with words to say was not hard. When I sent those pages in and, and written as much as I could write, my professor would say, this is good, you're doing a good job. But he always had one complaint for me. He always said, Brad, you need more sources. Those of you who have written term papers or maybe are writing term papers right now, you know what that means. You need more sources to back up the words that you're saying. Those sources help to, to prove that what you say, you, you know what you're talking about. What you say has some validity. Those sources remind us that we're not speaking on our own, but that we have other people standing behind us, or maybe better yet, we're standing behind other people who know more than we know. 
We not only need sources in our educational life, but we need sources in all of our lives as well because sources truly remind us that we are limited people who depend on others for help. We need sources of good food, sources of clean air, sources of clean water in order to survive. We need sources of good health care, sources of good education in order to thrive. Our lives truly depend on other people and sources around us are what give us the meaning and the hope that we have in order to live and to thrive every day. And the same is true for our church. There is one source above all other sources that keeps our church healthy, keeps our church strong, and keeps us together as a church community, and that source is the Holy Spirit. Over the next five weeks, our theme for stewardship is going to be back to the source, trying to get back to that source that holds us together as a community, that calls us, that gives us our meaning, our direction, and our purpose, the Holy Spirit. And we're going to be looking, as I mentioned before, five different ways that we can recommit ourselves and reconnect with the Holy Spirit of God. Worship, prayer, giving, study, and service. Those are five very practical ways. We've talked about those ways before here in our sanctuary. Worship, prayer, give, study, and service. Five ways that we can commit ourselves to God. And when you get your pledge card later in this month, you're going to see not only opportunities for you to pledge financially, but for you, ways for you to, to pledge to worship more, to pray more, to study more, and to serve more, because all of those things are ways that we connect with that source, the Holy Spirit of God. Truly, John Calvin said that worship is the first foundation of righteousness. The first foundation of righteousness is worship. Before we go out and serve, before we study, before we try to do anything else as a part of being a disciple, the first foundation of righteousness is worship. Worshiping God, putting God at the center of our lives, and maybe better yet, moving ourselves from the center. When we worship God, when we come to worship here in our sanctuary or out in the world, we meet God face to face. That's what Calvin says. And we enact the restoration of the heaven and earth the way God claims in Holy Scripture. Now, all of those principles, all those wonderful things sound great to be able to enact this restoration. That's what we're doing here in worship today. But the truth of the matter is, if I ask most of you why you came to worship, most of you would not mention that it's the foundation of righteousness or something like that. Most people would say, I come to worship to get fed. I come to worship to receive. I come to worship to, to hear that I'm doing the right thing, to hear that my, my faith and my theology is what it's supposed to be. Most of us would come and say, I hear, come to hear the beautiful music like our wonderful children just offered to us today. Maybe some of you say, I come to glean something from Brad's sermon so that I can think about it throughout the rest of the week and it'll give me something to, to ponder and something to inspire me throughout the week. We often come to worship first and foremost to receive but that's not what God calls us to worship to do first and foremost God calls us into this space or any other space of worship first and foremost to give not to receive but to give to give of ourselves all of ourselves to God that's like that passage that I just read to you from Psalm 66. It didn't say, receive a joyful noise from God or hear a joyful noise from God. It said, make a joyful noise to God. Worship God. Give yourself, give your voice, your heart, your soul, everything that you have to worship God. That's what God calls us to do. 
Because in giving of ourselves, we, as I said before, we move ourselves from the center of the universe, which is where we are taught to put ourselves everywhere else in the world. We move ourselves from the center of the universe and move God back to the center where God belongs. But ironically, God calls us to do that, not because we have some self-centered God who just wants our praise and wants our worship, but we have a God who believes that when we move ourselves from the center, paradoxically, we receive something. There's a wonderful old parable, a Jewish parable that has meant a lot to me. It's a story of two brothers who were the sons of a a flour miller. And and they inherited the flour mill from their father when he passed away. And so they would spend their days working together, dividing everything equally from this flour mill. One of the brothers was a a single man who didn't have a family at all. The other brother was a, a family man who not only was married but had several children. But they would split the money 50 50 that they made on the mill. And then whenever they had extra flour over they would split that right down the middle too but every night when they would go to bed the the brother who was single who did not have a family would stop and think you know my brother has this whole family that he has to provide for and so I think he probably needs this extra flour more than I do and so he would pack up that flour in the middle of the night and without telling his brother he would sneak it over to his brother's house and put it in his storehouse Later, at the same time, his older brother, who was filled with a family and had a house filled with people, he would go to bed at night thinking, my brother is all alone. He has no one there to love, no one there to care for him, no one there to take care of him. I think he needs this flour more than me. And so he would secretly go to his storehouse and pack up flour and take it over to his brother's house and put it away in his storehouse. And so every single morning, these brothers would wake up after taking their flower away, and they would miraculously see that the flower had been restored. Somehow, by giving, they were receiving and restored. Finally, one night, in the middle of the night, while one brother was carrying one pack of flour, the other brother was carrying his pack of flour, they bumped into each other on the road. And they realized what had been happening. And they fell on each other with love and care, realizing that in giving to each other, they were trying to support each other, that this miracle had happened because they were more worried about their brother than about themselves. And as the parable goes, God said, it was there in the middle of the road that I chose to build my house of worship because that's where people received by first giving. We come to worship every day, and I want you to receive. I hope you receive something from sermons. I know I receive something from our music. But more than anything else, we come into this room to first give. To give of ourselves, great and small. Whatever you might have to offer, we come to give ourselves to God. That's why it's called worship. Not to worship ourselves, but to worship God whether it is your voice like these children just offered, whether it is your heart, whether it is your forgiveness, whether it is your confession, or whether it is just your presence. Your presence of all, when that's all you have to give. We come to worship first and foremost to give, but ironically, paradoxically, when we give, we receive. We receive by giving. 
One of the other things that we receive when we are here together that we don't receive out in the world is we receive the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to be reunited in Jesus Christ. You and I know that out there in the world, we live in a world that is completely divided. In fact, a few months back, a few years back, there was a man named Robert Putnam who wrote a wonderful little book called Bowling Alone. Maybe some of you read it. It's, a, it's a, a, a little study about the United States and about our world, about how our world is slowly pulling further and further and further apart, how in our world right now we typically used to uh, find ways to get together for dinners, get together and join together in clubs, get together and, and spend time together in community. But now as time has gone on, we have found ourselves pulling further and further apart and doing things alone. He even says in his book that there are more people bowling today than ever before, but they are doing it alone. The past two years has probably put the nail in that coffin for some of us, that we have found ourselves being completely isolated and completely alone because of the pandemic that we've been going through, because of the political divide that we're dealing with. We have found ourselves completely separated, trying to build community somehow through social media and through the computer fighting our fights through Twitter and through email. We've tried to find ourselves building community across miles rather than sitting across table from each other. And truthfully, it hasn't been safe to do that. But God calls us to worship because uniquely in worship, those differences that we have all pale in comparison to the similarities that we have, what we have in common, which is that each and every one of us needs God. Every last one of us, whether out there in the world, if you are a have or a have not, whether you are, are well respected and well loved, no matter who you are here in the worship service, we realize that each and every one of us are all on an equal playing field. None of us sit at the head of the table. It is Christ's table and we all sit with one thing in mind, to point to God and not to ourselves. Fred Craddock tells a wonderful little story that illustrates that. He was teaching a class at Candler Seminary, and while he was there, his students would, would come and do the devotion each day. And one day, right before the class would start, a student came forward with a long legal pad of, of written words that she was going to do the devotion. He saw the legal pad and thought, oh my goodness, this is going to be a long devotion because she had written so much on the sheet of paper. But when she got up to the front of the classroom, she started reading each line, and every single line was written in a different language. She read it in a, per a different language from German to French to Cantonese to Mandarin to Russian. Every single line was written in a different language, but all of those lines actually said the exact same thing. And when she got down to the very last line, on her sheet of paper, do you know what she read in English? She read the words, Mommy, I am hungry. Amen. That every single person in the world, no matter where they are, no matter how much money they have, no matter how much little they have, every single one of us is a broken, limited person who is in need. Every single one of us, no matter who you are, comes to worship to remember that we need God. That God is at the center. And we surround God. But re 
somehow miraculously we realize when we are surrounding God, pointing to God, that we are united in our same need, united in our need to serve God and to serve others. We come to worship to remember that we are united in Christ. And that memory reminds us once again of who we're called to be. That's the last thing that worship does. It reminds us once again who God is, but even more importantly, who we're called to be. When you come into worship service, believe it or not, you're walking into a new realm. I want you the next time you come into this worship service to use your imagination. To think that you're coming into a new place, a new space, a new world, in fact, because worship is supposed to be that place where heaven and earth intersect. And we here in this space are not supposed to live like the people out there in the world, but we are supposed to live like those people that God calls us to be in the new heaven and the new earth. A place where we confess our sins and we accept forgiveness from others, a place where we offer the peace of Christ to each other, where we can't find it anywhere else in the world, a place where we offer our gifts, great and small, and every single one of our gifts is cherished and valued, because that's what we need. That's who God calls us to be. That's why God calls us to worship, so here we might remember who God intended us for, for us to be in the first place. Past few weeks, I have been reading the biography of Eugene Peterson. You all might remember Eugene Peterson. He was the one who wrote uh, the message, the, the narrative version of the Bible called The Message. He was a Presbyterian minister. You might have known that as well. And in his biography, he tells the story about how he planted his first church, the first church he went to as a minister. It was right outside Baltimore, and the, the first church met there in his basement uh, of his house. And he was, of course, uh, overseen by the presbytery there outside of Baltimore who were there to try to, to give him as much wisdom and support him however they can. And when he started this church up, and the, by their instruction, they gave him this big red notebook binder. And he said, this notebook binder is your source. This is the source of everything that you will need to start your church. Anytime you have a problem, anytime you have an issue, just turn to the binder and it will tell you how to do it. This binder will tell you how to start a committee. This binder will tell you how to start a Sunday school class. This binder will tell you how to deal with conflict. This, Bible, this binder will tell you how to, to raise money in your church. But as he read this binder over and over again, he realized that this binder sounded a lot more like a business plan than, than, well, a place of worship. So at the exact same time that he was reading this Bible, this binder, he turned in the Bible to the book of Acts, uh, to the original church, the first church that was started after Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And there he read about something else. He read not a church that was there to try to, to please other people, not a church that was there to try to understand the market value. It was not a church that was there where he was calling people together to, to fellowship and, and simply be joyful with each other. It was a church where he, people first and foremost, more than anything else, were called to worship. Because it was in worship where they discovered once again who God meant for them to be. My hope for 2022 is that we have lots of opportunities to worship. 
more opportunities than we've had in the past. We haven't been able to worship the way we like to these past couple of years. But in the year to come, I hope we find new ways to worship. Peter and I have been talking about new ways, exciting ways that we can worship. Going back to the Montreat Music and Worship Conference, I hope that's something we can do in 2022. Finding more ways to, to worship outside the walls of this church like we did on Easter Sunday. What a wonderful day it was to worship together outside. Using different instruments in worship. If, if we have to continue to keep our masks on, we still want to find a way to make a joyful noise. Because God calls us to worship, whether it's easy or whether it's hard. God calls us to worship whether we're joyful or whether we're sad. God calls us to worship whether we are celebrating a baptism or a wedding. And God calls us to worship when our grandparents die, when our parents die when our children die. God calls us to worship when we are united and when we love each other and we can't live without each other. And God calls us to worship when we are utterly divided and can't stand each other. God calls us to worship every single day because it is here in worship where we remember that we belong to God and that we are called every day to live into that heaven, that intersection between heaven and earth of who God intends for us to be and not who we tend to be out in the world. My hope for 2022 is that you and I will recommit ourselves to worshiping, not just on Sunday morning, but every single day, because we need that reminder. We need that reminder that we belong to God, that God has a purpose and a plan for each of us. To the glory of God. Amen.